This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. This is a moment everyone on our show has been looking forward to. It's a Questlove Christmas. Amir Questlove Thompson has returned to our show, this time with some Christmas songs to play for us. Kind of like a Questlove Christmas mixtape, the annotated version. It's an honor to have him choose recordings for us. In addition to his many credits, Questlove is perhaps the most famous, popular, and in-demand DJ. He even DJed a party for Obama. This year, Questlove won an Oscar for his documentary Summer of Soul, in which he featured film performances from the overlooked 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, which was nicknamed the Black Woodstock and featured performers like Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Nina Simone, and Mahalia Jackson. Summer of Soul won a Grammy for Best Music Film. In 2021, Questlove was the music director for the Oscar ceremony. He co-founded the band The Roots. He's the band's drummer. It's the house band for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He was a producer of the original cast recording of Hamilton. He's written several books, including Music is History, and now is involved with several projects around plant-based, environmentally sound, tasty food. In the spring, his children's book, Rhythm and Time, will be published. Questlove, welcome back to Fresh Air. Thanks so much for doing this and choosing music for us. Why don't we start with a song that you selected? And this is a song by Dram and his mother, <laughs> who he calls Big Baby Mom. <laughs> and it's Silver Bells. Yes. And I have to tell you, there's so much really schlocky Christmas music. And mm. that's why we're so excited to have you on the show <laughs> doing this, because you're choosing really interesting stuff. Um, Thank so. You. The song Silver Bells is kind of high in my list of just, you know, schlocky and um, just annoying. It's one of the reasons I don't like a lot of Christmas songs. (laughs) This is a great recording. So tell us about the recording and why you chose it. Yeah, it's a very unique recording. Um, I always cringe at the the older person that tries to put a tag on someone younger. Like, oh, yeah, he represents Gen Z. But, I mean, Drum is... um, Kind of the post neo soul set, like one of the uh, the artists that I, I really dig his work. He has a really soulful voice, and when I when I listen to music, I like rawness. I like mistakes. I don't think there's good notes and bad notes, or flat notes, or sharp or pitchy notes. But this is just it's a, it's almost like they're allowing us. Him and his mom are allowing us to sort of eavesdrop in at the family gathering where they're just singing to each other, and that's. Like, I really love the fact that they didn't overproduce this. Like, this is a really raw version of the song. So it kind of hits home to me. Let's hear it. Here we go. So this is um, Silver Bells, a good version of it. (laughs) City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas, children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile, hand on every street corner, yeah, oh, those silver bells, silver bells, silver Silver bells, it's Christmas time in the city. Oh, ring a ling, ring a ling, hear them ring. 
When you were growing up and you were touring with your father's band, um, did you spend uh-huh. a lot of Christmases performing? Yeah, like we would often have uh, Christmases in very unusual places, probably one of the best places ever. Um, there was a, a resort in San Juan, Puerto Rico called the DuPont Plaza. Um, and my father would do a residency down there. Um, and I believe like back in 82, one of my favorite Christmases ever, like it was real tropical. And that was the first tropical Christmas I had. Like I spent two weeks with my family, although they were going for like four months, I, I would fly down there occasionally. And, um, this is the year that Michael Jackson's Thriller came out. So, you know, it was a simpler time where buying a mirror one record was like the entire world to him. You know, now I have to buy like an entire library's uh, jazz collection from like some university. But back in 82, you could just give me a Thriller record and that was like everything to me. What songs did you have to perform around Christmas when you were touring with your father and his band Lee and You know, it's weird. Hearts? Yeah. My dad, uh, I believe once, my dad had a voice very uh, similar to Nat King Cole. So I do remember uh, once in 1980, when I was nine years old, uh, kind of as an encore, like he would normally do like either Unforgettable or something like that, but he actually did the, the Christmas song and that stuck with me so good that I remember that the Roots had to fill in for a missing guest on The Tonight Show, and with only like two hours to plan it, um, I kind of dared Black Thought to put on his best Nat King Cole, and he he (laughs) actually did it, like one of our best performances, and you know, I know people thought it was like an ironic thing, like, wait, is this a comedy bit? Like, why are the Roots performing Nat King Cole in these Christmas sweaters? And we totally played it straight, like, you know, people were expecting like a hip hop version or something like that. But um, yeah, I wanted to do that it's just as a memory of, of performing when I was a kid. That's the chestnuts roasting on an open fire song. Yeah, the Christmas song. Nacking Cole's the Christmas song. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's get to another song on your playlist. Uh, and this is Disco Claus, which is by Bionic. Yes. And it sounds more like Funk Santa than Disco Claus. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, there's, there's these. Uh, Two really influential DJs that have really inspired my DJ career. Um, they're from uh, the Boston area. They're called Amir and Akon. And those guys, like, they're the DJs that, like, your favorite DJs, DJs listen to. And they're always, like, playing, like, really obscure music that's really under the radar. And uh, I believe DJ Amir is the one that put me on to uh, this particular piece, which. You know, it has a good drum break to it, and I think it came out in 1977 by a group called The Bionic. Yeah. Okay, let, let's hear it. It was the night before Christmas with all to the pad. Not a record for spinning things really look bad. Let's go through the town tonight. I said, get on, Rudolph. We got 
Disco Claws by Bionic, one of the songs chosen for us by Questlove. Um, you've said that as a creator, you're 98% groove and 2% melody. And the track you just played is very much groove. <laughs> very much so, yes. Yeah. I mean, drums Drums are, that's my calling card, you know. Um, and for me, uh, there's a lot of really obscure Christmas records that might, like uh, they'll they'll do their version of like Little Drummer Boy or something like that. So, kind of on the market when people are shopping for records, they're looking for really good records with a lot of drum breaks on them. So, Christmas records are often, you know, you're guaranteed to find one from a funk group in the '70s. Little Drummer Boy is one of the Christmas songs, the original recording of it that just really uh-huh. really drove me crazy. Really? And, oh, yeah. They played it so much on the radio when I was growing up. And yeah, tell me you like it. It's hard to escape it. Um, yeah, all throughout like first and second grade, like every Christmas pageant, I think it was expected that I was supposed to play uh, Little Drummer Boy. Oh, because you were so, the drummer. Because I was a drummer, oh, right? Oh, no. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so, did well, you actually, like the song because you, know, you got to play? Um, I probably did it like four times in my life. I didn't do it like every year, but you know, oftentimes in school at the Christmas pageant, even even if it were like something totally the opposite, like our production of the Nutcracker or something like that, like they would find some sort of excuse to, you know, give eight year old Amir a drumming spotlight in the program. <laughs> oh boy. Well, let's hear a song that's lyrically the opposite of It's the Most Happiest Time of the Year. Um, uh-huh. uh, so this is James Brown's Santa Claus, oh. Santa Claus from 1968. This is so hilarious to me. Yeah, why, <laughs> I'm sorry. It, why is it hilarious to you? <laughs> um, this song, this particular song is my one, this is my introduction to Christmas music. Two, it's my introduction to James Brown. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So the first time you yeah, heard a Christmas yeah, song, I know. <laughs> and the first time you heard James Brown was this? <laughs> yeah, my first James Brown was this. No, it was just that, you know what it is? You know, I was a kid of the Muppets era, and there was a tortured genius musician on Sesame Street, and his name was Don Music. And he was always full of self-doubt and insecurity, and whenever he couldn't find the right words or the right chord, he just like... You know, he bang his head on the piano with like a tortured soul. Not, you know, it was exaggerated. So I used to think it was funny. And James Brown has a voice similar to my grandmother's. So, and she's a very anim. <laughs> she's a very animated woman. So, you know, as a baby, I thought that was grandma singing all those songs because, like, James Brown really belts like a female gospel singer. You know what I mean? Like with his high notes and his yelling. So when I hear this very, very depressing song about misfortune, like this this is the this is this is the Murphy's Law of Christmas songs. Um 
I don't know. I think my three-year-old self just thought that grandma was performing like a, a comedy skit or something like that. So I, I added that song for the ironic reasons. Like, I think this is one of the most hilarious songs ever because James Brown is overselling the, he's really overselling the, the woe is me character of the song. So yeah, He's asking Santa and the Lord, why does he have to suffer so? So, right, okay. exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, let, let, let's hear it. <laughs> right. This is James Brown from 1968. I've wanted so many things I wanted to sell. But you experience the wants when you live in the ghetto. But now I understand what it means to be a man. So there's one thing I'd like to know. So good, you know. Well, why do I have to suffer so? Santa Claus, Santa Claus, please, please, please don't make me, don't make me suffer so. Christmas come, but once a year, I want somebody, please, 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 bring me some Christmas cheer. I need a Christmas chair, Sunny Cloud, please, please, don't make me suffer so. Can't take it no more. That was James Brown from 1968. I'm still processing that this is like your introduction to James Brown. <laughs> yes, but see, after that, then I wanted to hear all the songs where he's like screaming and crying. This is another very unusual recording with a story behind it. It's called Santa Claus is a Black Man, and it's by Akeem and Teddy Van from 1970. Teddy Van, her father, yeah. Yeah, Teddy Van, her father. And she was, what, five when she recorded this? She was five when she did this. So, you know, Akeem Van is, you know, most would know her. She's a staple in the, the Prospect Heights area because she's like, she has, um, she she's the owner of, of, of a really awesome bakery. Um, it's called the Bakery on Virgin and it's in Prospect Heights. And so, but the weirdest thing was um, back when Wendy Williams uh, the the personality William Wendy Williams was a DJ on Hot ninety seven. Um, this is like in the nineties. Um, it, it's it, she had a Christmas themed show once, and I remember they played this song called "Santa Claus Is a Black Man." And um, I called the station and just left a note, like I don't know if you guys know who I am and whatever. This Quest Love of the Roots, and I gotta know the name of that song and. Uh, shockingly, I think like two days later, they emailed me back and sent me a cassette copy of the song because that's the times we were living in. And um, what's also notable about this song is that um, I believe that uh, singer Luther Vandross, who at the time was a local singer, and ironically, the one act I had to leave off of uh, Summer of Soul, uh, he's also singing background on the song. Oh, 
oh. Well, apparently, um, Teddy Van, Akim's father, um, yeah. wrote um, one of Luther Vandross's hits. Yeah, Power of Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I could see why, okay, I could see why he was singing back up on this. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right. So, um, um, so you loved about the song what? <laughs> well, I just love the 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 absolute innocence of it. Like similar to I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. This this is this is Christmas through the eyes of a child who, you know, the the whole point is that kids don't know that their parents are really Santa Claus. So, you know, this is besides I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. This is sort of another song in that vein where, you know, um, he looked just like you, Daddy. She, she, yeah, she doesn't realize that <laughs> yeah. her dad is actually Santa Claus. Yeah, that so. he's he's dressed as Santa Claus. Okay. Yeah. So, so let let let's hear it. That's one of the songs selected for us by Questlove, who we asked to select some Christmas songs to play for us, and happily, yeah. <laughs> happily for us, he he agreed. Um, so, what was Santa Claus to you? Did your parents tell you that there was a Santa Claus, or that that was somebody who only existed <sighs> you in, know, it's in weird. movies? Um, it, yeah, Santa. I was one of those kids. It's weird that um, if I see a clown, I love it, but if I saw Santa Claus, I was afraid of it. Um, so every time I saw Santa Claus before the age of three, um, I just get super panicky. And so the effects that, you know, you, you, you know, people that are like deathly afraid of clowns, I was deathly afraid of Santa Claus. So, um, it, and what's weird is that probably the two, the two most, uh, important gifts that I've gotten, well, were both my drum sets. You know, my drum set when I was uh, three years old and my drum set when I was seven years old. And I definitely know that my parents did this for me, not not Santa Claus. Um, well, I think we need to take a short break here. So let's take a break and then okay. we'll hear some more Christmas music chosen for us by Questlove. So we'll be back after a short break. I'm Terry Gross and this is Fresh Air. Early Christmas morning, sneaky as can be. I creep across the carpet and I peek under the tree. Pick out a gift from mom to me and bring it to my ear. Give it a little shimmy shake and what do I hear? Socks. Two socks. This is the worst 
This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. Let's get back to some Christmas music selected for us by Questlove, who's famous for several things. He's co-founder of the hip-hop band The Roots, the house band for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He won an Oscar this year for directing Summer of Soul, featuring performance music from the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. The film won a Grammy for Best Music Film. He was a producer of the original cast recording of Hamilton. He's written several books, including Music is History, and he's involved with several projects revolving around plant-based, environmentally sustainable, and tasty foods. So one of the surprises on your playlist is uh-huh. a, a track from a Marvin Gaye album from 1972, and it's called the track is called Christmas in the City. It's an instrumental. Right. <laughs> why did you choose an instrument? Uh, you know, Marvin Gray is such a great singer. Why did you find like the instrumental track <laughs> that that you have no idea is about Christmas? Well, this okay. So this song, although it was recorded in '72, um, this this only found its way like it only circulated amongst like the bootleg collectors amongst the years, and finally Motown like maybe 10 or 15 years ago, finally re-released it on a compilation. But, you know, the early 70s was a really interesting time for technology. And, you know, there there are a lot of these, um, there's a lot of uh, futuristic, uh, sonic futuristic synthesizer gurus, like people like uh, Raymond Scott, who are like developing these new sounds and these groups like uh, this group named Tonto, Stevie Wonder hears the Tonto record and he actually tracks them down at their house and says, I have these sounds in my head. I want to make music with you. And then Stevie Wonder winds up making like five of the most life-changing albums of his career. So, you know, it's it's a period in which people were just discovering uh, space and, and the new sounds and all this stuff. And so there's a point where like, Everyone in black music gets a, a monophonic synthesizer, which is basically a keyboard device that only allows you to play like one note at a time. So you can't play chords yet. Like a polyphonic won't come until like 1975, 76 with Stevie Wonder's songs in the key of life. But, you know, there's this period between like 67 and 73 in which like one note at a time, you're hearing this like weird space music and leave it to Marvin Gaye to sort of in that similar way that James Brown um, paints uh, a depressing or a hilariously depressing Christmas. Marvin Gaye's, uh, like I can almost imagine Barry Gordy just saying like, look, Marvin, just make a, a Christmas song real quick. And Marvin's like, all right, hold my beer. And... <laughs> Christmas in the city is just one of the most it's one of the most depressing sounding like sad loneliest like it's it's almost like the music I would expect the Charlie Brown Christmas special to be as depressed as Charlie Brown is so I don't know it's just something hilarious about hearing Marvin Gaye struggle with uh a, a this 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 monophonic uh 
synthesizer, you know, turning it into the blues. So that's why I chose it. So so let's hear it. So this is uh, Marvin Gaye, Christmas in the City. That's a Marvin Gaye track without Marvin Gaye singing, which you know kind of makes no sense. But <laughs> <laughs> but but there but there you go, and that's one of the Christmas songs. It's called Christmas in the City, chosen for us by by Questlove. Um, so let's get to Stevie Wonder. I know you love Stevie Wonder, and he's in your your yes. film performing in um, Summer mm-hmm. of Soul. And this is a promotional disc from from Britain. It's a kind of Christmas yeah. greetings uh, um, song. So. Or it's Christmas greetings message. It's not even a whole song. So t- tell us about the origin of this. Well, I you know why I chose this? Um, Stevie Wonder is world famous for his um, unique uh, jingles for radio stations. Um, you know, if you if you search the internet high and low, you can find some that he's done over the years and over the decades. Um, so these jingles, there's, there's actually a Philadelphia version of this particular jingle that, um, I grew up with. And that's the thing that's always close to my heart. So there was a point in time in which Stevie Wonder would, might take time out to, to craft maybe somewhere between, uh, 30 to 50 individualized, customized, uh, radio station jingles for you know the, the the territories that were playing his music the most, and so that's why I chose this one. Um, and this is sort of a companion piece to the Marvin Gaye "Christmas in the City" bit, of which this is Stevie Wonder playing synthesizer. Um, this time he's playing a, a, a polyphonic synthesizer, which gives him the ability to hit all the notes together. So this kind of the opposite. This is. This is when synthesizers get in the right hands of its creator. (laughs) Okay, here's Stevie Wonder. Hi, this is Stevie Wonder. In behalf of the Motown family, I'd like to say Happy Holiday from all of us to you. I wish I could hear more of that, but I guess there isn't more of that. Very brief. Sometimes you, you know, you you could make a point in twenty six seconds. I mean, look at the Ramones. They they made a life changing record, and not one song is over two minutes. So, you know, I, th- I think more artists need to follow suit and figure and challenge themselves to make impactful art in in less than uh, you know the normal time. Do you think he did this promotional? Uh, recordings because he wanted to, or because the record company urged him to, or because it would like get get him more airplay. Yeah, I mean Stevie Wonder came from Stevie Wonder. Not only came from like the first generation of Motown, but he also came from the first generation of a professional um, black record company uh, 
that had to cross every T and dot every I. So, you know, not only did you have to release your single, you had to make a mono version of it, a stereo version of it. And then some of these songs, uh, you know, if you, you took time out to sing the Spanish versions of them, you took time out to sing the Italian version. Like I have a, a, a collection of Stevie Wonder singles in other languages. Um, you know, it's just maximizing on your appeal. And Stevie Wonder had the, the means and the technology to just knock this all out. And it's not like he's alive in a period in which he can get distracted by an iPhone or television or that sort of thing. So, you know, I can imagine that this level of creativity was his bread and butter. So what songs do you plan on uh, performing this Christmas? Like in the next you know what? Um, few days, yeah. I think, you know, so far, this, this is my favorite time of the year because um, at the Tonight Show, this is when the Roots have to brush up on their Christmas history. So I'll say like, you know, when the audience comes to the Tonight Show, we, we do a, a warm-up song for the crowd before the show starts. So we're going to have to learn. Uh, we always do Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. Um, we, my favorite all-time Christmas song is uh, Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. And, uh, you know, he, Paul doesn't like it too much. Every time I talk to him and tell him, like, not only is it my favorite Christmas song, but it, it might be my favorite Paul McCartney post-Beatles song. And he's just, like, cringing his face, like, no, no, <laughs> I, that was a rush job. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, we're going to do a lot of uh, Wonderful Christmas Time and, and, and uh, Christmas in Hollis. Should we play Wonderful Christmas Time since you like it so much? It's my favorite. Yes, I love it. Okay, so here's Paul McCartney. The mood is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight. And that's enough. Feelings here that only comes to time of year. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. That's Paul McCartney doing Wonderful Christmas Time, which is apparently Questlove's favorite Christmas song. Um, and almost my top five Paul McCartney song. Let me introduce you. If you're just joining us, my guest is Questlove, and he's been playing some Christmas music for us, some of his favorite and some of the more unusual songs that he knows. So we're going to be back after a short break. This is Fresh Air. This message comes from NPR sponsor Smartwool. Our greatest adventures can't be gift-wrapped, but the Smartwool gear that makes them possible can. From award-winning merino wool base layers to must-have accessories and socks, the magic of merino will keep your loved ones warm and cozy all season long. Whether you're shopping for the all-day explorer or the late-night bonfire starter, find the perfect merino gift for every adventurer on your list. Enjoy 15% off your first purchase when you sign up for Smart Wool's mailing list. 
This is Fresh Air. Let's get back to my interview with Questlove. He brought some Christmas music with him to play for us. And Questlove is famous for many things, including that he's co-founder of the hip-hop band The Roots, the house band for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He won an Oscar this year for directing Summer of Soul, featuring performance footage from the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. I want to talk about the Oscar that you won this year for Summer of Soul. In 1969, a filmmaker filmed the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, a series of concerts um, in Harlem at a park there. And the TV networks he was hoping would make this into a movie decided to pass. And the footage Mm -hmm. just sat in his home for decades. And you got access to it, turned it into a film that's also a commentary not only on the festival, but on the era and how the festival represented a turning point in pop culture and especially in in black pop culture. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's what the film was about. You won the Oscar and you gave a very emotional speech and the category that you won in Best Documentary was the category right after um, Will Smith walked on stage and slapped Chris Rock. And yeah. it's that was a hard moment to follow because that was perhaps one of the most bizarre moments in Oscar history. Yeah. And then you get on stage and you give this emotional speech. Um, I was uh, watching TV. How or where right. were you of what happened from where you were seated? Um, this particular year, we all just sat spread out throughout the um, the Kodak Theater. And they had all of us... Um, way in the back. So the the dock the the dock branch, we were in the we were in the like the the far back row. So that said, I knew that Chris Rock was presenting my category. Um, so immediately I started going into trans meditation. It wasn't until I heard the second expletive from the audience, and you know, Will Smith wasn't mic'd. So I couldn't hear what he was saying. And I was just like, ooh, this is a really bad sketch. Um, (laughs) And so (laughs) as I walked to the stage, my first sign of, wait a minute, what's going on here, was that just everyone looked like, not saying that I had in my mind like what a hero's welcome should be like, but, you know, the, the, the walk was so long from the back to that stage that, you know, the energy of like Steven Spielberg talking to me for like 10 minutes and the reception like, oh my God, you did that marvelous film? Oh, like I wasn't getting that energy. I was getting more or less like this sin for help. Like it was that look, like I was looking at my friends like, wait, why why is everyone looking so, what's going on? And then as I walked up the stairs for like half a second, when my back was turned to you guys, uh, the audience, like that perspective, I kind of looked at Chris and I muttered like as a ventriloquist, I was like, wait a minute, that was real? And then I turned around and realized, oh God, what just happened? Yeah. And I didn't know. So when I tell you it took, it was all the meditation that I've done for a year and a half that led me to those next three minutes in which I can absolutely positively tell you with no exaggeration. I have zero clue 
on what I said. Um, I'll be honest with you, the moment was a little too traumatic for me to even revisit. Like I have not, I literally don't know what I said. I just, I said some words and obviously it made sense because everyone's reaction was like, wow, you really, you normalized that moment. Um, I have a clip of the speech that you gave because I wanted to be able to play it okay. for our listeners. Given what you just said, I'm not sure whether you'd want to hear it. I'm all right with it. Are you? Okay. So this is this is the part where you, you walk up on stage and you basically say mm-hmm. that, you know, the other people are so great who are who were also nominated and you praise them and then you start talking about yourself and the film. It's not lost on me that the story of the Harlem Cultural Festival should have been something that my beautiful mother, my dad, should have taken me to when I was five years old. And I'm, this is such a stunning moment for me right now. Um, but this is not about me. This is about marginalized people in Harlem that needed to heal from pain and just know that in 2022, you know, this is not just a 1969 story about marginalized people in Harlem. This is a story of, 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 I'm sorry, I'm just overwhelmed right now. Um, Well, our listeners just heard that clip, but you weren't able to hear it because we're in a different studio than we usually are. So I regret that you didn't hear it, but maybe maybe you didn't even want to. But I I will say that you really started to tear up when you said, it's not lost on me that the story of the Harlem Festival should have been, you know, some my beautiful mother and my dad should have taken me to when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, like the camera goes to your mother and she's just like weeping. And you're tearing up, and you had to kind of stop talking for a few seconds. Um, were you thinking when you said that that your parents had the possibility of taking you there to the festival? Yeah, like I I remember just the general feeling. Like I I just knew that at that moment, everything kind of went out the window. Someone joked with me like, "Wow, that moment was so dark that you even forgot your producers' names." Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you did. It just, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was such a. Uh, uh, I I just heard maybe it's the voice of my father. Like I I was wearing um, the the there was a piece that I was wearing which inside of that that silver pouch um, I I take the ashes of my father um, where oh. I go and I don't know I just I I just kind of I I felt like just. Talk from the heart. Like, what do you feel right now? And I just, you know, I, well, I wanted you know, when to you, relate When you to started the... tearing up, you clutched that. You just kind of grabbed. And I was going to ask you what that was. Yeah, that was, my, that was my dad. Yeah, oh. that was my father. So you were holding and, on to um, his ashes when you were making that speech. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I, I just, I felt like um, at that moment to just talk from the heart, like not use the the cards in my pocket or you know try to remember all 17 of my producers and all that stuff like that that all just went out the window and you know I was just like 
I'm I'm grateful for this 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 honor. But you know, I also never felt like it was ever about me. That it was just that I was allowed the 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 honor and the privilege to tell the story of a a, a group of people that were often neglected in history, and really, you know, I I wanted to make the movie that I truly believe that you know five year old Amir should have seen when he was a kid. Like that film should have been out by 1973, 74, 75. And my parents should have taken me to see it. So for me, it was my chance to correct history. And now that film is there for a five-year-old or a six-year-old child today to see. Well, let me introduce you. If you're just joining us, my guest is Questlove, and he's been playing some Christmas music for us, some of his favorite and some of the more unusual songs that he knows. So we're going to be back after a short break. This is Fresh Air. This is Fresh Air. Let's get back to my interview with Questlove. He brought some Christmas music with him to play for us. And Questlove is famous for many things, including that he's co-founder of the hip-hop band The Roots, the house band for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He won an Oscar this year for directing Summer of Soul, featuring performance footage from the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. So I'd like to close with another song. And I'm thinking, like, do you have a favorite? And I'm, I guess I'll get a little churchy here. <laughs> do you have a favorite, like, real Christmas, like, song that is, say, like a gospel song? Because I know you, you love Mahalia Jackson. She's in Summer of Soul. And yeah. um, uh, Mavis Staples. So is, is there a song, like, from that tradition that you'd like to end with? Um. You know, there's so many to choose from. Um, I will say, though, uh, <laughs> there's a um, there's a tradition of Silent Night um, that's done by the Temptations. Um, it's their 73 version with Dennis Edwards singing... Um, lead vocals and it's it's almost unspoken like it's it's every black household in the 70s that's the only version of silent night that exists um a good friend of mine says that if the first three words of any ad lib from a soul singer are the words in my mind then you know the 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 abyss levels of deep that that version of the song is going to be, and that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what Dennis Edwards does. The fact that his first three words have nothing to do with Silent Night, which is in my mind, um, which is kind of like a go to, like I'm going to get real deep for you here when you know before I start sermonizing. Like that's that's a warning that you're about to get something special, and so. I don't know, like the Temptations version, their slow version of Silent Night is is damn near a religion in, in black households. Oh, thank you for choosing that. Questlove, it's always such a great treat when you're on our show. Thank you so much for choosing music for us. And I wish you, you know, a really good Christmas and a very healthy and happy and meditative and fulfilling yes. 2023. 
Um, Thank you, Terry. Yeah, it's just always such a pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. In my mind. want to hear the full versions of the songs on Questlove's Christmas playlist and maybe even play them on Christmas Day, you'll find links on our website, freshair.npr.org. Questlove is the co-founder of the hip-hop band The Roots, the house band for The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. His Oscar and Grammy award-winning documentary, Summer of Soul, is streaming on Hulu and Disney+. Tomorrow on Fresh Air... We begin our end-of-the-year series featuring a few of our favorite interviews from 2022. We'll start with Cheryl Lee Ralph, who won an Emmy this year for her performance in the ABC comedy series Abbott Elementary about the teachers in an under-resourced elementary school in Philadelphia. In the series Moesha, Ralph played the stepmother. Early in her career, she was in the original Broadway cast of Dreamgirls. I hope you'll join us. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallett, Phyllis Myers, Roberta Shurrock, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Teresa Madden, Anne-Marie Donato, Thea Chaloner, Susan Yakundi, and Joel Wolfram. I'm Terry Gross. Fun.